You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, politics, security, and more. I'm Jeff Rafke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Well, welcome. Hello, listeners. Uh, welcome to this episode of The Zeitgeist. This is, if I'm not mistaken, episode 77, and I'm glad uh, to have with me AICGS non-resident senior fellow, Klaus-Dieter Frankenberger. Klaus, welcome. Thank you. Hello, Jeff. Turns out we're both in Frankfurt right now, but we're in different locations. Um, so we're doing this uh, via Zoom, um, but I am no less excited about the conversation. We've spoken regularly over the past year, uh, including in this podcast, about Germany's defense and security policy and foreign policy transformation. This goes under the headline of the uh, of the uh, neolog neologism uh, Zeitenwende. And uh, it's something, Klaus, that you and I have talked about uh, in this podcast uh, on, on a few occasions. Uh, I happened to go back and look, and February 23rd, 2022, the day before the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine, uh, we, we spoke uh, at some length. Um, at that time, Russia had just recognized uh, the uh, Donetsk and Luhansk republics, and Chancellor Schultz had announced that he had put Nord Stream 2, the pipeline, on hold. Um, that was, uh, again, the day before the invasion. And then uh, again in September, uh, we spoke about this. Uh, Schultz had just recently delivered a major speech and one of several that he's given on uh, Germany's foreign policy over the last year. And uh, at that time already, we were talking about whether Germany would provide German-produced uh, main battle tanks, that is the Leopard 2, uh, and, and how its policy might develop further. So, so now here we are, just about a year since that invasion, and I think it's a good opportunity for us to take stock of how far Germany has come and what challenges uh, lie ahead. Um, so if, uh, if that sounds good to you, um, uh, we'll get started. What, do you, how, how, uh, how do you see the completeness or the incompleteness of the transformation? Well, the Zeitman is a bold step to correct our mistakes done in past decades in the energy sector, economically, militarily, predominantly militarily, and in security policy. Uh, and it's also, and, and looking forward uh, into a future that is not, that does not keep us hostage by autocracies near and far. By far, I mean China, by near, of course, it's Russia, the aggressor against the Ukraine. We have come actually, looking domestically, quite a way. Our, in energy terms, our, we have almost completely decoupled from Russia. No coal, almost no oil, and no gas coming from Russia anymore. Uh, we had, as you recall, deliber almost deliberately increased our dependence on Russia, but this is over. Obviously, we needed that brutal attack against Ukraine to come to terms. What is at stake? Economically, many German companies have completely pulled out of Russia, and many of them will not return in, in a new post-Putin environment. Diplomatically are and politically 
or we have contributed, Germany has contributed to a a strong anti-Putin, pro-Ukraine or coalition. Our, its solidarity is unwavering, I would say. And this includes the public, by the way. 80% are, of the Germans are fully clear who the villain is and who needs our support. It's the Ukraine. Are probably, and this may sound to some of our partners a little bit are c- cynical, the greatest strides have been made in security terms. Uh, remember years ago, former then then Foreign Secretary Gabriel said, are to, uh, referring to the NATO's 2% goal, our spending orgy. Now the the current uh, Defense Secretary said the 2%, uh, 2% goal is the minimum. And we will increase our defense spending um, by ten billion dollars. We have the special, the special fund for refurbishing and uh, renewing and modernizing the Bundeswehr. The Bundeswehr is facing dramatic shortages, dramatic deficits, and they have always come, they have all come out are are uh, seeing the light of day by by. Um, by Putin's, by Putin's invasion. So I would think, I would think in, in military and security terms, given the dismal state, all, if not disastrous state of the German armed forces, others are also not in good shape, to, to, to be perfectly clear. Others in Europe, other in NATO are. Uh, we are, Germany is on a, a course, is on a way that, that I would not have thought would be possible maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so that's I think that gives us uh, many different aspects that we can uh, zero in on, and the uh, maybe the the first one is about um, spending. Um, you you pointed out that the in addition to the hundred billion euro defense fund which is kind of an off-budget vehicle and it's supposed to be for long-term projects and acquisitions to recapitalize the bundeswehr that the 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 newly appointed defense minister boris pistorius has also spoken out for increasing the base budget of the defense ministry by about 10 billion per year per year um yes and uh, and and, and I the think, thing about it, uh, let me say, yeah. the thing about this is this new an- announcement, and we remember the, the hardline leftist factions in the SPD, the anti-military spending um, people in the SPD, that this has not really found much opposition. This has been treated now, including the Greens, as almost common wisdom that we need to spend, we need to put our money where our mouse had been in, in mm-hmm. the past. And and because the state of the Bundeswehr is, is not a glorious one, people have, have taken the reality shock as something, uh, as proof that we actually have to do something with, if, other than we want to be the laughingstock of our partners near and far. Yeah. Now there's a there's a there's a political element here that's extremely important that you just touched on, and I want to come back to that in in just one uh, one second. Um, the the ten billion increase uh, is on the one hand, um, you know, it requires a decision by the cabinet and ultimately by the parliament. Germany is embroiled, um, as some some might have noticed, in a fight about uh, debt and budget 
and uh, and taxation between the, uh, the between two of the parties in the government, the Greens and the FDP. So, uh, do you do you think uh, that uh, that this idea of a ten billion uh, per annum increase in the budget is um, going to get past uh, that that major uh, um, coalition disagreement? As you said and alluded to, it may be contested by some. First of all, the finance minister also has to say a word in, in this debate, and he is insisting on no higher taxes, and um, are, and he's also insisting on on maintaining now the debt break, which is uh, part of the constitution. I would think the the more leftist elements, they want to cut a deal. They want to say, if you guys want to spend more on defense, which is okay, which is fine with us, but you also have to spend a little bit more on welfare. This year, it, it has a new mantra, a new paradigm, if you will. This is a year of doing something for welfare spending. Uh, now, one may say, oh, well, Germany all, has always spent a lot of money on welfare, which is true. But, well, but we have two left more left left leaning parties in the government and and their more social policy minded folks want to have an increase i would say at the end uh it will be passed because Jena, germany cannot afford to do otherwise uh the the situation with the military is is as it is as i as i have described it uh they were searching for spare parts that we are searching for ammunition that we are searching for tanks that actually are operational are um, and uh as i say we don't and, and at a moment where the situation in the ukraine may are uh, heat up again as the russians prepare for a new offensive or already have embarked upon one and our uh, things are not so uh look not not good looking so so nicely at the moment and we have to deliver the things that we have promised and we need money to do so and on a sustained basis for years to come Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, one one other thing that really strikes me about the defense minister, um, uh, Minister Pistorius, is that he is playing a very different role from his predecessor. His predecessor, Christian Lambrecht, who was, I think it's uh, you know fair to say, embattled uh, during her entire time in office. Um, she she never really quite set the agenda. And she was silent on some of the big issues of of defense uh, policy in the Bundeswehr, um, and that's quite a different situation now. You have the minister um, Pistorius getting out and shaping the public discussion, um, not only through calling for a budget increase as one example, but if you look at uh, his actions when he went to the NATO defense ministers meeting last week, he showed up um, with an announcement. Um, that Germany would produce the ammunition um, that was in that was running low for the um, armored anti-aircraft system, the Gepard system that Germany had provided to Ukraine, and which the Ukrainians have been using to great effect, especially in fighting the Russian um, or the Iranian-made uh, drones that the Russians are trying to use as part of their campaign against Russia's infrastructure. So. You, you have now a minister who is taking the lead and trying to set the agenda. Um, it seems to me this creates a, 
a, a new and welcome balance in the way the German government can address these issues. The chancellor doesn't have to weigh in on everything immediately. He has a, a several strong ministers who are going to express their views and work out um, what uh, options the chancellor has, and then he can choose among them. Instead of having this lopsided uh, uh, situation we've had for a while where every issue immediately became a chancellor issue. You agree? Yeah, I agree. Our I thought our hearing of Mr. Pistorius, our new our portfolio, I thought this is what the good a good appointment. That's a good selection. Pistorius is competent. He knows what what security means, even though he had just uh, handled home security affairs. But he is not new. Christina Lambrecht was an, an accident, or a minute. A really a bad accident he had no idea what she was uh, uh, aiming at what he's what she was coming into in a situation where leadership was of the essence she did not provide clear leadership not domestically not or uh, not f um, in terms of uh, our partners and of the ukraine and and i i i, I I don't have grudges against her because she's coming very close from where i live um but she was a disaster now here's someone who brings in a competence and which is good and he has a, brings a long-term vision a long-term perspective where germany has to be and let's say in 10 years he has or does not um, doesn't make wishy-washy announcement about the state of the bundeswehr it's totally clear and what we have to do he's now beyond the the, the heavy armor debate, the tank debate. He wants to put together a coalition of, of uh, countries that supply tanks uh, almost immediately. He is in enhancing the cooperation with the manufacturers, as you said, of, of ammunition, ordnance, and otherwise. And, and this is good. That's what we need. And Charles, and he gives, so to, so to speak, Charles more room diplomatically to to foster the the cooperation with the united states for example and no longer uh, being forced to to our correct statements our ill-advised statements by his uh, defense minister as it had been the case in the past year though that's just a good one that's mm -hmm, a good mm -hmm. a good personal choice okay so so that brings us back to the the topic you uh, raised earlier on, which is the politics inside Chancellor Schultz's Social Democratic Party. Uh, and as as we've talked about, and I think it's generally accepted, this is, in a way, the center of gravity for how the German government under Schultz's leadership is able to uh, complete and drive forward this uh, revolution in foreign policy, because there is a strong left-wing in the SPD that has uh, you know, traditionally been um, very reluctant on questions of defense spending and the role of the military and Germany's military in international affairs. But what is what has been striking um, is, uh, as you said, Klaus, the, the left wing has from time to time made some noise, um, uh, the two most prominent uh, voices on the left being Rolf Mützenich, who is the leader of the SPD caucus in the Bundestag, and uh, Ralf Stegner. But they have not um, opposed the chancellor all outright. Uh, they have not tried to block his initiatives. Um, they have been perhaps a rhetorical companion and somewhat critical from time to time, but they have, uh, they have not gotten in Schultz's way. 
Um, what do you? Th- is it because they think they can be rewarded with uh, higher social spending for their own priorities this year? Is there li- something else going on? A, a little bit. This is the case. Being rewarded with a little uh, with higher social spending, based b- by the way, which is enshrined in the coalition treaty, are engaged in our some 14, 15 months ago, concluded them 14, 15 months ago. But the point is they all are overwhelmed by the situation. And the Zeitenwende are, has a lot to do with the intra-party politics of the SPD. Our, its anti-Americanism is believed in equidistance. The, 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 the folks that are Russia-friendly, the folks that had called uh, Mr. Putin um, a, are a Democrat, as you uh, as you know, famous word by then Chancellor Schroeder, yes. Lupenreiner Democrat, uh, which is I mean that's the, the greatest travesty you can think of, by a German Chancellor by the way. So, uh, but these people are basically they are overwhelmed by the situation. They are overwhelmed by reality. They had to discard to a good extent, I would say, not completely their old beliefs and and, and ideas about uh, you know. Um, change by trade and all that. This is all history. That's all in the closet, as most of them are in the closet. They may come out once in the future, but now they are they are basically are having their mouths shut and and following and supporting the chancellor's course. Are and they agree that the Bundeswehr has to do something with the new leadership of of uh, the SPD leader Klingbeil. They all make the same. The, the right the right utterances they say the right things what Germany needs to do and one thing I always find interesting about the when the Chancellor is concerned Schulz is concerned uh, that he says or uh, that he emphasizes that really strikes me as one of the most interesting things by himself he emphasized the strong our relationship and the and the good cooperation with the United States and particular with with the Biden administration. There's almost no occasion when he fails to emphasize this the closeness and the way that's almost a harmony situation um, when it comes to the tanks. Remember when we spoke in September and we said, well, what about the the leopard and and the Germans? And I, my idea was that already at the time, if Biden had said, okay, we send. Uh, Ten Abrams to the to, to the Ukraine to Ukraine, whenever they may actually arrive. Now we learned they had to be have to be built in the first place. Um, the Germans would have doubled down. Said, "Okay, we're gonna our we 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 are gonna we send twenty. We just discovered a couple on the yard the other day, uh, which are which are available. Uh, sometimes it is a cynical. So this is a very interesting thing for a the chair uh, the, the the chancellor of a party. He's not the chairman." Who had a lot of folks who had believed in the past and in the past decade and the concept of equidistance, strong anti-American sentiment, stronger than with the Greens, by the way. Mm-hmm. The Greens are had already been on a course of very strong anti-Russian sentiment. You know, domestic situation in Russia, our expansive ag- aggression in Syria, and all the rest. Are uh, this is uh, an interesting thing. So actually, Charles had Charles at this moment has more room to maneuver than probably many chancellors of his party in the past. Yeah. You mentioned the uh, the chairman of the Social Democratic Party, the co-chairman, Lars Klingbeil. And I think it's uh, worthwhile to point out 
that the SPD um, party recently uh, concluded a position paper, um, which, uh, which which is titled. Um, uh, let me pull it up here. I've got it on my on my screen. Um, Social democratic responses to a world in upheaval. So this is a fairly uh, comprehensive uh, document. It seeks to, uh, you know, it's happening, of course, at the same time that the German government is uh, developing a national security strategy. So you can see this in a way as an SPD companion to yeah. that process or even an input. Um, and uh, and if we look at the, the ways that the Social Democratic Party is describing their relationship with Russia, it's not just that they're tough on Russia. There is a level of self-criticism uh, in here, which you rarely find. I think um, it, it it talks about the 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 failure of inner economic interconnectedness to change Russia in the direction of democratization and uh, and stability. Um, it calls that a mistake. It uses the word mistake. Uh, so there is a there is a there is a refreshing. Uh, openness in this document, and the other thing that I think is uh, you know, really kind of puts an exclamation point on the on the uh, idea you expressed, Klaus, uh, about uh, how the views of Russia have changed. The section on Russia in this document says, um, "Organizing security in Europe against Russia, security from Russia, protection yeah. from Russia," which is something that would have been impossible to imagine. Uh, a, a a social democrat um, uh, saying at any point uh, before one year ago because the the point was always about building security with Russia that Russia Absolutely. had to be part of so I think that is um, uh, really uh, remarkable now um, it may be one uh, can I kind of say something here sure the the, uh, the self criticism is well needed and well deserved because. Leading SPD politicians, chancellors, ministers, presidents had all been following this old mantra, some and almost until the very early February of last year. You now we need to 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 inaugurate Nord Stream Two because this is the last bridge with Russia and all of that. They had really had a, a, a rendezvous with reality, and they all got cold showered. And it's not just a mistake. This is a failure for many years. They failed to understand, including our Chancellor Merkel at the time, the geopolitical dynamics of all this, uh, of, of energy and, uh, and the pipeline system, when Russia annexed the Crimea and invaded eastern Ukraine. One could have, we could have fallen even further into history and saying, well, there was a war in Georgia. Uh, right, and then, in 2008. 2008. You and I were probably there uh, in 2007 when Vladimir Putin, Putin handed down the gauntlet at the Munich Security Conference, which you attended this year. I was indeed uh, there in yeah. 2007. So we both were witnessing when the, this were the first trumpets, so to speak, are of a new Cold War, not by the United States. I mean, the, the, the and the rest, but by Vladimir Putin, who had already already engaged on, on his course of domestic repression and thorn. So, from 07 and 08 until 22, it's 14 years, and and through all this decade, 
plus four. Uh, we were hearing Russia uh, security only with Russia. No, no problem with energy dependence from Russia. No problem uh, with other things the Russians do. And by the way, well, Crimea, my goodness, the German, uh, German economics, our interest had other things on their mind than, um, you know, rethinking their engagement in Russia after 2014. It's well-deserved. It's it's long overdue, but as you say, are it's good that they do it, and this will have, I would think, more than hope, I would really, I'm convinced actually, more conviction than hope that this will have a lasting impact. It will endure and 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 be a guiding principles for the SPD and and to generalize the major, the majority parties, the CDU, CSU and the Greens, they will they will and the, and the FDP they will follow along the same line. They already had been there. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, the one the the issue on which I'd like to wrap uh, wrap up our discussion is um, something that the tank uh, debate um, may shed light on, and and that is you see in this discussion about whether Germany should provide Leopard two tanks, the Chancellor playing a very cautious, deliberative role, not saying much about it publicly, and uh, the impression developing that Germany was under a lot of pressure from Ukraine, from its Central and Eastern European partners, and uh, toward the end also from the United States, and making this decision reluctantly. Um, this is, of course, in tension with the aspiration Schultz and his government have articulated to be a leader in Europe, um, that Germany should take on more responsibility. And, and so um, I wonder, Klaus, how you see this, this kind of central contradiction um, and, and how that um, may develop as we look ahead. Mm -hmm. The tank, just a, a brief word about the tank debate. I mean, this is an ongoing story. Our, which has not too many heroes, by the way, and those who had the loud spoke most the loudest now turn out to have tanks that are not uh, operational either, and they do not come forward with their leopards. I I'm deliberate mean the polls. I mean Germany has uh, was wavering and reluctant. Yes, I agree, and, like, and I'm convinced. Had we spoken half a year ago about the issue, and the United States had said, well, "Let's do it together," the Germans would Schultz would not have been reluctant. Would not have zögern and zaudern. He would have uh, committed himself. Now, in the days are uh, preceding Munich before the Munich conference, it was our uh, Boris Pastorius who was shopping around for partners, looking around for help, and was turned on wherever he looked, other than Portugal, who is willing now to contribute to, in words, two, two tanks to the Ukraine. And we say, well, we, we commit now 14 or 20 or something. No, nobody knows when they will be delivered. But eventually, this is a, is a bizarre, a bizarre discussion, and I, I hope it will not are uh, repeated when the, when we have to face a situation about aircraft deliveries. This leadership question as a as a tricky one. Schultz has always, as I said, always emphasized our the closeness of co his collaboration with the United States. He wanted to act in tandem 
with the United States, predominantly with the United States. Uh, he doesn't want to stick his neck out. He look, was looking for cover at the same time. At the same time, you you, you said it. You alluded to this this dichotomy, this ambivalence, are uh, claiming for a leadership role. Um, I think he had a little bit our uh, his eyes on the German public. The public mood is a little bit ambivalent. Complete, complete support overwhelming support for the, for the Ukraine. But when it comes down to what we should actually do, the public is reluctant. It's split. Uh, doesn't find actually that's a good idea to, to send more weapons. Our relative majority is against us. Our, our, a third about finds it okay and appreciates that we uh, bolster the, the, the Ukraine militarily. Um, so Schultz is looking for cover, he's looking for legitimacy, and he thinks are also as in, in terms of, in terms of a security of, of insurance an insurance policy, he is or so by by collaborating closely, by aligning himself so closely with the United States, he thinks he, he he can get through this. He eventually can deliver the things that I needed to arrest and hopefully pull back the Russian ag aggressors. And you see for the moment, for the first time in, in many years, that the public is all in favor of NATO membership. It's all in favor of close cooperation with the EU. And it even agrees to the proposal of spending much, much more on defense in the years to come. You know, 15 years ago, there were probably five, six, and seven percent of the public, most of them I would know by name, are who, who were in, <laughs> in, in, in support of higher defense spending. Now we, we speak about 41 are. And, and so forth, our seventy-four percent of the Germans say our, our security has been best taken care of by NATO membership. So these these are developments all in light of what we have seen uh, during the past year. And the whole the whole country needed um, um, a well a reality check, and and Charles epitomizes this in his the way he is preparing the country to do more. Uh, sometimes I would think are uh, he's uh, not just sometimes. By, by the kind, and I, I understand it politically. He does not provide the leadership it's necessary. He's taken cover behind the United States back, but that's that's the way it is. He's been clear on this from day one on that the only ones to do are are with the United States. Remember, even the pre-Titan vendor was characterized by two principles: the lessons of uh, of the past. Of, of of World War II and German and, and the and the Nazi regime in Germany, never again. Mm -hmm. You know, you you uh, um, bring wreak havoc in Europe, or uh, with a disastrous war, in in that Germany started deliberately the Nazis, but there's a second one also, never again alone, never again alone, and I think our Schultz is someone who's a disciple of the second mantra. And, well, you can blame it for this by sticking to it so closely. But, you know, if you need to bring back a, a, a public, a population that had been a lot of that, that was pacifist, you know, big Switzerland syndrome and all the rest, 
are probably this is not the dumbest way to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a perfect uh, note on which uh, to uh, to conclude uh, our conversation. Uh, it it highlights uh, the ways that the German government is likely to continue uh, to approach these major questions. I think we have to save for another time the question of whether the assistance that Germany and the rest uh, of the Western alliance are providing are is sufficient and fast enough yeah. in order to have the effects that are needed on the ground. Um, but we'll have to uh, save that for a future conversation. So I want to thank you, Klaus, for being with us again uh, on for this discussion. It's been, it's been terrific. And uh, to our listeners out there, uh, we look forward to having you with us uh, again soon. So Klaus, have a good day, and we'll see you later. You too. Thank you very much for having me. Bye-bye. Mm. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist a podcast produced by the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Send us your feedback by email to info at AICGS.org or catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at AICGS. Don't forget to check out AICGS.org for more information from today's episode. Auf Wiederhören.